Welcome to The Gallery Gap, a podcast that explores inequity and equity in museums, exhibitions, programming, and collections. I'm Melissa. And I'm Claire. This week, we celebrate Earth Day, first by exploring the work of an environmental artist who was exhibited at the Figgy, Katia Loher, and then we will turn to the importance of this particular Earth Day and, the, and support the March for Science by considering the work of an early pioneer of STEAM, centuries before it was even hip to use that acronym, by talking about the work of Maria Sibylla Marion, whose work is in the ATMA collections. Both Earth Day and March for Science are happening this Saturday, April 22nd. So starting with Earth Day, this is a national holiday that encourages people and organizations to demonstrate their belief in environmental protection. And they do this um, most often by holding educational events. And what began in 1970 as a National Day of Recognition has expanded to a global network. So on April 22nd, 2017, there are official events happening in nearly 200 countries. And, you know, of course, there are many more unofficial events taking place in addition to this. Right. In fact, there's quite a few events happening here in the Quad Cities. Leading up to Earth Day, Augustana students this week are joining forces for Green Week with a variety of events meant to promote environmental issues and encourage the campus to connect with nature. The Figgy has things going on this Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this Saturday, we're going to be hosting an event that's free and open to the public. Um, and this is in con connection with contemporary artist Jean Shin and her upcoming exhibition, Maze, spelled M-A-I-Z-E. Uh, this project examines the relationship we have with the environment and our personal well-being or health and really the role that the plastics play in this. For those loyal listeners to The Gallery Gap and those who are paying attention to our Facebook page, this is the exhibit we mentioned and posted a video of, of about 12,000 green plastic bottles, right? Yep. I, <laughs> it's so many bottles. <laughs> They're so green. Um, but it's a really exciting project. So check out, yeah, check out the presentation that our curator Vanessa Brown did at Pachaca Cha that we put up on our uh, Facebook page. And come down this weekend. So Jean is actually going to be in the Quad Cities to help move the exhibition project forward. And you are all welcome to stop by and get your Earth Day on with us. Uh, we're starting off the day with an extreme cleanup of downtown Davenport that starts at 9 o'clock. We, we've already taken registration, but we are accepting walk-ups. So please, please pop on down at 9 if you want to join a team and help us clean up downtown Davenport. After that, we're going to regroup at the Figgy around 11. We'll have some free pizza for participants. And then we'll jump into an art-making session that Jean leads herself. And she'll do a little presentation, too. So the project we'll be working on during that session will be uh, creating the actual artworks for the exhibition this summer. They're corn stalks made out of recycled bottles. And it's a pretty cool opportunity to be part of an exhibition by an artist as talented, as successful as Jean Shin. And, you know, I don't know. Most people haven't made corn stalks out of green bottles. So there's that too. Yeah, we yeah. can teach you how to do that. Um, Claire, I assume you're going to be running this for us, right? right? Course, you're yes. going to volunteer yeah, to rock on. Already, already, already did it. Just, just keep waiting for me. And I have you sign it. your name somewhere. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is, um, such a massive undertaking. I really want to give a shout out to Vanessa Brown, who's working in tandem with Jean on this exhibition. Vanessa's only been with us for about a year at the Figgy and really dove right in to this massive undertaking. Um, and actually, it's interesting. Her first show was last summer, and that was Picturing the Prairie, which kind of goes hand in hand. Right. It's a, it, that was a great, another great example of an exhibition that focuses on artists who consider the environment as they create. That exhibition included the work of six regional artists, as well as an installation of prairie grasses on the plaza. 
and bringing it back to Atma, we brought PlantBot Genetics to campus last spring for an exhibition and residency that considered the fate of local pollinators. And we did a number of local events that included a green block party at the Figgy, where members of our community were able to learn more about our local ecosystems and the groups working to preserve them here. We, we love installations and exhibitions, programs like these that really show us innovative and artistic ways to bring attention to things such as a decline in pollinators and get us to think about where food comes from. So, Claire, those are those are great examples. Did you remind me, were you here in spring of 2014 for Katya Loher's exhibit? Nine. I uh, didn't join the Quad Cities community until fall 2014. Some good German, my yeah, friend. Yeah, I've got it. <laughs> so um, since you missed, I know you're aware of her work, but um, for others who may not have been down here to see Katya Loher's work, we worked with her. She's a New York-based Swiss artist, and we worked with her to display her exhibit, Video Planet Orchestra. This performance-based video installation was projected on giant spherical weather balloons, which we suspended from the ceiling. It almost appeared as if they were floating. And honestly... It took my breath away, and not just the first time I saw it. Every time I walked into that gallery for the three months it was up, it knocked the wind out of me in a, in a very good way. It really felt like you were tiny. I mean, just so minuscule, navigating within this vibrant and energetic solar system, which was the artist's intention, part of her visual intent. So we'll put images up on the web because it's really too cool for words. So she used video technology to really explore the intricate and interconnected nature of life on Earth. And each individual video planet is synchronized to an audiovisual score. So as they coalesce, they resemble an orchestral performance, which is why we have the title. Loher collaborated with dancers, choreographers, costume designers, and other professionals. This process and the final product communicate the essence of her installation, that the health and well-being of our planet depend on a combination of both individual initiatives and collective effort. In one video, dancers pollinate plants as a colony of bees, while in another, they perform natural processes like cell division or photosynthesis. In some videos, they move their bodies to spell out thought-provoking questions, such as one that focuses on the question of, why did the bees leave? Once the video is recorded, Katya multiplies and sequences, producing videos that have a mesmerizing kaleidoscopic effect. Kaleidoscopic. That's a great word to, uh, yes. to talk yeah. about. Your yeah. word. It's kind of a hard word to say sometimes. Too. Oh, you, you did just fine. Um, <laughs> words, man. So Loher films using bird's eye perspective. So she's above the action. And this added to the fact that the videos are projected onto orbs, these weather balloons, really creates a feeling that you might be looking through a microscope or a telescope as you watch or um, really examine, I guess, the movement. So this encouragement of closer examination, when paired with the questions posed through movement, invite the viewer to reflect on her own role on Earth and in the universe. From a visual perspective, the installation is magical and it's full of wonder and discovery. Uh, we, we actually, the Figgy owns one of her smaller works which, um, in which she still uses video but displays it using glass bubbles rather than the larger weather balloons. So you should check it out next time you're at the Figgy. It's on the second floor right off the elevator by the Deborah Butterfield Horses. Excellent. Actually, it's by the Helen Lundberg, the new acquisition right, we mentioned. Right. So, so Katya has continued to explore similar themes 
using various methods for display, most recently through glass portals in her exhibition Buela Buela at the C24 Gallery in New York in late 2016. Continuing the artistic dialogue of the impending extinction that is the reality for many species today, and such a happy one, Lower focuses on four elements of nature and their connections to the mind. Video sculptures merge with live performances to create an all-immersive experience for audience members. And coming up in 2017, Katya will unveil a newly commissioned large-scale architectural intervention at the new headquarters for Swiss Grid in her home country of Switzerland. It's very interesting work to celebrate our planet and its ecosystems. But Earth Day this year has another layer of significance, correct? Right, you are, as always, Claire. That's correct. Like you wrote that into this. <laughs> I may not have said it otherwise. No, but seriously, how? I mean, you were right. So there is another layer of significance to this Earth Day. Following in the successful footsteps of the Women's March, the National March for Science will also take place on this Earth Day. So what is the March for Science? A good place to start is with their website, which outlines why they march, and we'll post a link to this too. So from their website, this is a quote, science, scientists, and evidence-based policymaking are under attack. Budget cuts, censorship of researchers, disappearing data sets, and threats to dismantle government agencies harm us all, putting our health, food, air, water, climate, and jobs at risk. It is time for people who support science to take a public stand and be counted. The March for Science is the first step of a global movement to defend the vital role science plays in our health, safety, economies, and governments, end quote. Like the Women's March, there will be satellite locations, including one starting at 10 a.m. at February Park. We'll post a link to the Facebook event for that. And then there's another event happening here, People's Climate Movement QC, which is happening from 12 to 3 at Modern Woodman Park. And again, we'll post that link. And so the moral of the story is that lots is happening on Earth Day. Whether you're listening here in the Quad Cities region or wherever you're listening, there are probably satellite events happening regarding the March for Science and also in celebration of Earth Day. So be sure to... uh, get out and show your support. But I'm going to take a big turn and shift us back a few hundred years and back to our collections at the at the ATMA to think about Maria Sibylla Marion, who we mentioned at the top. She's an artist and scientist who was ahead of her time and faced much inequity trying to follow her passion, which was, drum roll please, <laughs> bugs. Second. That, that was great. Born in Frankfurt in 1647, Marion displayed an early talent for drawing and a fascination with insects, particularly the habitats and metamorphosis of butterflies. And I think we were all fascinated with that to a certain extent um, in our youth, and many of us continue to be today. At that time, it was especially unbecoming for a woman, quote unquote, unbecoming, for a woman to become so enamored with insects. But thankfully, her stepfather, the Dutch flower painter Jacob Merrill, interceded with her mother to allow Marion to pursue these interests. So she studied under Abraham Mignon and later Johann Graf, to whom she was married for 17 years. Marion converted to the Protestant religious community of Labadism and moved with her two daughters to the community at Borsch Castle in Holland. The castle was a home was home to a large collection of tropical insects from Suriname, collected by the castle's owner and governor of the Dutch colony of Suriname, H.V. Summerdijk. It fueled Marion's desire to see the insects in their natural environment, and it became the inspiration for Marion and her daughter to set sail for Suriname in 1699, the colony on the northwestern coast of South America that the Dutch had traded the British for Manhattan. During their two years there, the two gathered materials and made drawings for Marion's next work, 
Metamorphosis Insectorum Surinamensium, which was published in 1705 with 60 copper plate engravings. It was a masterpiece in its own right, and the work is all the more breathtaking when one considers that Marion undertook this extended journey alone as a single mother and artist, funding her journey through the sale of her own drawings. She was a woman naturalist in the male-dominated scientific world of the 17th century, and she embarked on this exploration for purely scientific purposes before it became typical for women or men. The rock star. Yes. So I, I've looked up her works, of course, but I haven't seen any of the originals that you have in your collection. Maybe describe yeah, one. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And so we'll, we'll include this on, on the webpage, but, or one of the, one of the images that, that we own in our collections on the webpage. But her drawings depict insects, especially butterflies, within their larger surroundings, depicting relationships between plants, insects, and animals, illustrating insects' full life cycles and connections to their environment. One example that we have in the Atma collections features two orange-red lilies, and they almost look like Michigan or Turks caps lilies, but she was not in North America, and those are two native species of lilies. And they're, they're really they're beautiful lilies. Um, they have these, these curved petals that curve up. Um, they have a, a, a beautiful shape to them. So I'm prattling too much about the flowers. I'm incredibly um... <laughs> impressed, though. <laughs> and and these, these flowers are covered in entomological entomological variety. Two species of moths with multicolored wings. And just so our listeners know, they're moths, not butterflies, because their wings are laying flat on their bodies and not resting perpendicular to their bodies. And another way that you can tell is butterflies generally have clubbed antennae. You can think about this if you used to draw butterflies as a kid, or if your kids draw butterflies, that line with the ball at Mm -hmm. the end, that's a clubbed antennae. And in addition to these moths, not butterflies, there are at least two caterpillars, one that's quite fuzzy and the other looks like a type of inchworm, as well as some other caterpillar that seems to be making a chrysalis or maybe it's some sort of pest on the plant, it's kind of hard to tell. And then resting on the stem of the lower flower is likely another chrysalis. And the scene is rounded out by two dark purple beetles and what appears to be a pale blue leafhopper. And by the way, a quick shout out. To a friend of the Gallery Gap and Augustana entomologist, Tierney Brosius, who helped me sort through those insects. The flowers are all me. But Thanks, Tierney. Thanks, Tierney. <laughs> <laughs> so check out Marion's work. I mean, Claire, obviously you're very passionate about this artist um, and have a personal yeah, interest yeah. <laughs> interest in the subject matter. But um, the work is breathtaking. And how she did it is also really interesting. I mean, she's already notable for so many reasons. But instead of pulling the insects out of their environment, as many of her contemporaries were doing, and then, and then drawing them as isolated specimens, Marion situated her insects within the broader natural world. And that's really cool. She was not interested in classification, as she explained to an English collector, but, quote, only in the formation propagation, and metamorphosis of creatures in the nature of their diet. Right, and as I mentioned, she was ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. Marion's work on metamorphosis of caterpillars was published during a period when other naturalists were still discussing the Aristotelian concept of, quote, spontaneous generation. And some, from that concept, some believed that rotted meat created maggots, that insects grew from mud, moths sprang up from wool, and caterpillars from cabbages. So she's doing something a little bit different here. (laughs) Her work put her in correspondence with scientists across Europe, and her ideas influenced many later generations of scientists and artists. Carl Linnaeus would later utilize her drawings to help him classify insects. Goethe praised Marion for her ability to move, quote, between science and art, between nature, observation, and artistic intention. 
And her work has even had influences on later art artists such as John James Audubon, whose work depicts birds in their own habitats. But today, unfortunately, few people have heard of her. But now you have, listeners, <laughs> you have heard of her. The Augustine Teaching Museum of Art owns three prints from a volume of Marion's drawings published in 1717 by her daughter in the same year as Marion's death. The original volume that contained these prints in the collection has an inter interesting history in its own right, as it was a gift from the esteemed art historian Sir Kenneth Clark to Dr. Anne McLaren, a developmental biologist in Britain whose research helped lead to in vitro fertilization. So in that letter that accompanied the gift, Clark wrote to McLaren, Quote, she was one of your earliest, perhaps your first, predecessors. She was not only an artist, but a scientific biologist. He closes with a well-wish that could have as easily been written to Marion as it was to McLaren. I hope you manage to combine freedom with unity and are as happy as the world permits. We really love that this work was created by and owned by important women scientists, making positive changes in the world. A great thing to celebrate as we move into the March for Science. Um, and with that, we pose this question to you. What are you doing in your daily lives to make positive change? A few weeks ago, we spoke with the artist Kiam Marcelo Junio, who encouraged us all to be more reflective in life. And perhaps this question will provide you, and it certainly has provided us, with a rewarding avenue for reflection. Right, and with that, I'm going to turn us to looking into the future, mm -hmm. reflecting on the future, so to speak. Next time, we will discuss artists looting and reparation in a dialogue that examines the continued impact and trauma caused by the Holocaust. We do this in recognition of Yom HaShoah, or Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is coming up on April 23rd. Joining the conversation is Dr. Jonathan Petropoulos, a renowned scholar and really the guy when it comes to this topic. John was recently in the Quad Cities, and we had the opportunity to speak to him. So get excited for that. Um, and we have a few reminders for you until that time. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Follow us on Facebook or visit WVIK to listen and support public radio. As always, thank you to the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art, the Figgy Art Museum, and WVIK for your continued support of this project. A special thanks to our production team, Lacey Scarmana and Alfredo Manteca. You guys are awesome. This podcast wouldn't be where it is today without the generous support also from Peterson Pate's design, so thank you for making that possible. And last but not least, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you. Have a good week. <laughs>